0: Thank you so much for being here. It is—it's a great morning. Uh, I'm excited. We are—my uh, family and I—are are going camping tomorrow. We leave tomorrow. We're going to drive over to Wallawa Lake, uh, way over eastern Oregon. We're going to enjoy that a little bit. Last year we were there. It was uh, smoky uh, the whole time. Couldn't see. Uh, couldn't breathe through well. Uh, I've heard it's nice and clear. Uh, it should be—should be a real good, enjoyable time. So we'll be gone for a week, but. I uh, look forward to seeing you all again next week. Uh, now as we as we get into Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and, and we're, we're digging in even more specifically here in, in verse 18 and kind of 17, 18, and 19. Uh, Tim last week mentioned hope, uh, as Paul mentions hope, and and Tim even mentioned the opposite of hope, which of course is hopelessness. And we were surprised at the amount of of uh, kind of the, the amount of people that resonated with this idea of hopelessness, uh, and, and it's understandable why. I understand why we feel hopeless. There's a lot of things uh, from the surface, there's a lot of things to feel hopeless about, but in Christ, there's, there's a great number more things to be hopeful in, And so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning really pulling apart what is this hope, and I think specifically there are three misunderstandings or misconceptions about hope that we have that that causes us to struggle to understand this idea of Christian hope and what it is Paul is talking about here and in multiple, multiple other places Throughout the Scriptures, this idea of hope comes up, and I think we misunderstand it sometimes. I think that's why we have a hard time wrapping our heads around this idea of hope. So here's, here's our three great mis- misunderstandings. Uh, we misunderstand what hope is, first of all. We misunderstand what hope is. Number two, uh, we, we misunderstand what we are to hope in. Uh, and I think Tim Tim uh, phrased a great question. He kind of set us up, like, "What what is this hope?" Uh, and I want to bring that home a little bit today. Let's let's really dig in. What is this hope? What do we hope in? Let's make sure we understand this. And and thirdly, I, I think uh, we misunderstand how it is we are to obtain this hope. Of course, that's the uh, the most important question, right? Uh, we want to understand this hope, we want to know what it is we hope in, but most importantly we want to know how do I get this hope? If there is this great and wonderful Christian hope, how in the world can it be mine? So th- those are the three misunderstandings we're going to look at, uh, and I'm going to jump right in here. Misunderstanding number one, what hope is. Okay, so here's, here's a phrase we would use in English, uh, and I want to set up the case for the fact that this has been misunderstood. Uh, translated in a way, right? So in English, we might say, hey, are those folks coming over later? And we go, I'm not sure, but I hope so. What are we communicating, right? This would be a common use of the word hope. And we're communicating uncertainty. I don't know if these people are coming over or not. I am uncertain as to the fate of our afternoon. And so I hope they will be coming, but we really don't know. That is uncertainty. And that's what our English idea of hope is, most typically conveys. But the biblical, uh, you know, of course, remember the, the Bible's not written in English, right? Uh, this portion of the Bible was written in Greek and the word here used for hope is not translated with any degree of uncertainty. The word which is translated in, in almost every case in our Bibles to the English word hope, it's deeper than that, it's richer than that. Hope is defined as uh, as an expectation, in fact, the, the exact definition is this, joyful and confident expectation. Joyful and confident expectation that I know for certain. I have a certain expectation that this will happen, and I am joyfully awaiting for that to be realized. Does that make sense? Hope is not uncertain, but it, it actually is very certain, and there is a negative Uh, definition of this word. So this same word in Greek could be used for a joyful, confident expectation, or it could be used as a dreadful, confident expectation. In either case, there's certainty, right? There's certainty in the expectation. I, I know that this is going to happen. It can be joyful, which is what Paul's talking about here, right? We joyfully await this to happen. Or it can be negative. I know this is going to happen, and I'm dreading it. But it's, in either case, certain. It's absolutely certain. And, of course, from context here, we can see Paul in in verse 18 is talking about joyful, certain expectation. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he goes on from there. So, the hope which he has called us to, this is this joyful, certain expectation. I want to make sure we understand that first. Uh, I... uh, I hope to win the lottery someday, just, I don't know if you knew that about me, I, I hope to win the lottery. Uh, I, I hope in a very English sense of the word, because I don't actually buy lottery tickets, uh, right, so the odds of me winning the lottery, uh, very uncertain, okay, but I'm still waiting, you know, maybe the wind would blow a winning lottery ticket across my feet, i pick it up, I win a million dollars, or whatever they give away now, right, so there's there's some chance, but it's You might say uncertain, okay? So this is different. That's not biblical, uh, not biblical uh, hope, uh, not at all. Uh, Another uh, example, which I, uh, it comes from the movie Facing the Giants. Anybody know this movie, Facing the Giants? Uh, Yeah, a few. Okay, so this is a cheesy Christian movie at its best. I love it though, okay? I love the cheesy Christian movie sometimes. Sometimes I can't stomach them. Facing the Giants, for whatever reason, man, it just gets me. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I was thinking about this, right, there's a scene where uh, th- this guy comes in and, and, and he's talking, he's actually talking about faith, but I think hope works as well, uh, and he says, two farmers uh, pray, there's, there's been no rain, it's a drought, two farmers pray to God for rain. And then one farmer goes and starts, you know, looking up at the sky or whatever, uh, and the other farmer goes out into his fields and begins to prepare for the rain, Right? Which of these has faith, or I would apply our definition here of hope. Which of these two farmers have hope? Well, there's this joyful, confident expectation that I have prayed to the Lord, and I know what is coming. He is going to bring rain. That is, that's what we're talking about here. That's this, this biblical definition of hope. Uh, joyful, confident expectation. Uh, we see the same sort of thing in Noah Right, Noah in, in the Old Testament, God tells him, I'm going to bring a flood, I need you to build a really big boat. What does he do? He expects this is happening, and I think maybe in, in, uh, in part of the, the other sense of, of the word hope, uh, there maybe a certain sense of dread, right? This is coming, but I know for certain that it is coming, and what does he do? He acts, right? This hope is active, because if you know for certain this is happening, if your hope leads you to this place of joyful, certain expectation. You you are going to be led into action. And I think we lack that in our faith many, many times. Noah goes and he actually starts building the boat. Uh, Abraham is is another example. God told Abraham, I want you to leave your land, leave your people, leave your family, and you're going to wander through the desert wilderness for a long time. Uh, Why does he do it? Because God promises him, through you, will we'll be a nation, and, and through you I'm going to bless every nation in the earth. And he hoped in what God said. He had a joyful, confident expectation that this was going to happen, and so he gets up and he starts walking. This hope leads us to action. This is, this is what hope is. So that hopefully clears up this misunderstanding, number one, of what hope is. Okay, now we know that. Now we move on to uh, misunderstanding number two, what do we hope in? What do we hope in? Um, it, often I think we, we place our hope in this life now, right? We, we place our hope in this idea that, that I want to have a, a good life, that things would go well for me, uh, that I can be successful. Our hope is very temporary. We We, we often think, and we misapply this hope and we go, if I follow God, if I obey the Lord, then he will reward me with uh, the, the hope of this life, that things will go well for me. And this is not what the Bible teaches, but, but this, is, this is what we uh, hope for. YOLO, right? You only live once. It, it, everything you want right now, you just got to go for it because this life is, is where your hope rests. This is all a miscommunication, misunderstanding. Of hope, certainly, it's not the biblical hope. I uh, was trying to come up with other examples of, of like a misunderstanding of hope, uh, and I, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but uh, like Joel Osteen books, you just go down the titles, and these are right, like a, a good life now, your, your your best life now, every day of Friday, you are stronger than you think. It's like the self-focused, uh, my life right now being the best, uh, and and we we can just go down that list, and it's it's none of it biblical hope. None of it is biblical hope. We misunderstand, and, and so instead, I want to contrast that with um, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon had just this incredible list. I thought, why even modify it? I'm just going to read you Charles Spurgeon's list of, of these hopes that we have in in Christ. So Charles Spurgeon says that the, the believer in, Je- in, in Jesus has a current hope and a future hope, right? That's not distracting at all. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's good. I see uh, see everybody looking behind me, either that noise or Jesus is coming. I don't know. Uh, So I just wanted to check, like, okay, it's motorcycles. Okay. Uh, All right. So we have current hope and and future hope. And I just want, like, I, I have to say, first of all, that this is for the believer in Jesus. What I cannot offer you, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I have very little hope to offer you, right? The biblical hope here is, is not for the non-believer. This long list of hopes and promises is not for the person not following Jesus. Now, the good news is there is a wonderful hope for the non-Christian. <laughs> and that hope is, uh, that the hope is Jesus, right? The, the hope that you have if you are not yet in a relationship with Jesus is that the door is wide open. Right, That Jesus welcomes you in, that he is inviting you to come and partake in this hope. And and he wants you to place your faith in him uh, to become one of his. That's the only hope I can offer for anyone who's not in Christ, is to become in Christ. Now that you are in Christ, this list is pretty sweet. This list is pretty incredible. So Charles Ferdinand says, the believer in Jesus has a current hope. Uh, The the believer in Jesus hopes and believes that he shall be under divine protection forever and ever. For all eternity, God is uh, with us and protecting us. Isn't that awesome? He's with us and he's protecting us. Uh, The the believer has a hope that he shall be the object of divine love. Love. Have you ever felt unloved? Have you ever felt unlovable? We have this divine, eternal love from the creator of the entire universe, right? He loves us so much He went to extreme measures to to save us, to rescue us. This is part of the hope that we have, this divine love we get in God. Uh, We we hope uh, all, uh, we have hope that all things shall work together for. Uh, the good of him who loves him, right? That all the things, even the terrible things that happen, even the tragedies, even uh, the, the things that we see no good in, we can hope, we can have a joyful, confident expectation that all things are working together for the good of those who love him. And we won't, this side of heaven, fully understand how all of that works, but we can place our hope in it You see, we can know that that is true. We can know that that is coming to pass. We can place our hope confidently in knowing that he is working all things out for the good of those who love him. And then I hope to stand before God and I got some questions, right? There's some things I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how this worked out. And there are other things that, you know, at the time we don't understand how could any good come of this? And then we we see months, years, decades later, oh, I see what God was doing there oh, if it weren't for that thing, I wouldn't have ended up here and been in this situation, right? If it weren't for, uh, I've I've told you guys the story before, if it weren't for the divorce that I went through, I would not have met Jesus. If it weren't for me going through divorce, I I felt I had no need of a savior. And by God's mercy, he allowed me to go through this this terrible gut-wrenching thing uh, so that I would meet him. Now, I don't think that God caused it, but but I do think that God allowed those things to happen in in an effort to turn me to him. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, at the time, I didn't see any good in that, but I can look back and and see some of that, right? So um, moving on here, um, he hopes that he expects, uh, the Christian expects a stormy voyage, but because Christ is at the helm, he hopes to come to the fair haven at last. We, We know that this may be a stormy, Voyage, but Christ is at the helm, and we uh, will come to the fair haven at last. Uh, The Christian expects to be tempted, but he hopes to be upheld. Right? Hopes to be upheld. And remember now our biblical definition of hope. You could almost say uh, he expects to be tempted, and he has this joyful, confident expectation that he will be upheld. He expects to be slandered, but he hopes to be cleared. He expects to be tried but he hopes to triumph sustained by this hope he dreads no labors and fears no difficulties no labor no difficulty no struggle in this life can put us off because of this hope that we have we are sustained by it all through life whether that be long or short And he has not much care about the number of his years. Underneath him will be the everlasting arms. Man, I want that to be true in my life. I want that hope. doesn't matter if it's many years or few years. I know that I am in his arms. He hopes that the Lord will be his shepherd and he shall not want. He hopes that goodness and mercy shall follow him all the days of his life. These are biblical hopes. This is a a list of promises that we have in Scripture from our God and our Savior. This is what our hope is built on. This is what we're hoping for, and not in any uncertain terms. We, We hope in these things with all certainty. And then, Beyond that, remember that Paul says uh, the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I want to talk briefly about inheritance on two sides. Number one, uh, that, that we hope in the inheritance we receive, hence we are not afraid to die, for then he expects uh, to come into actual possession of his best possessions. Uh, I, I, I read a, a, a metaphor this week. Uh, what we have now, the, the spirit, the deposit we have in us, right, the blessings that we have in the Lord right now is like pocket change. But our inheritance is at the bank, right? He gives us some walking around money, right? He gives us some walking around blessings, uh, if that's not too cheesy to say, uh, I'll never say that again. It's, I'm sorry. Uh, listen, he, he gives us he gives us some, some pocket change, and it's enough for this life. It's more than enough. It's more than we could ever deserve. But the real inheritance is at the bank. This is just a foretaste, right? Like the song said, just a foretaste of glory divine, just a sampling, just a taste. Uh, my, my wife and I have this picture hanging on our wall. A friend of ours drew it. It's actually from a Charles Spurgeon quote. Uh, I like this guy, okay? Uh And and this little picture is super simple, drawn in pencil, um, and and it comes from a story that Spurgeon told uh, of a a widow, uh, a a poor, uh, lonely widow. She sits down at her table, which is lit by a single candle, nearly burned all the way out, right? And and there at the table, she has a, a single roll of bread and a small glass of water, and she prays. Uh, over the meal before she eats it. And her prayer is this. What? All of this and Christ too? Right? Overwhelmed at the blessing that she would have this roll and this glass of milk and a single candle. All of this and Christ too? Christ is the inheritance. She knows what's at the bank waiting for her. Right? And this is just such a sweet blessing on top of blessing that I would have anything. There's a woman who understands the inheritance she's going to receive. The believer looks for his best things last. He believes that when it is time for him to depart, Jesus will come and meet him. And the thought of that meeting puts aside all idea of the grim terrors of the grave. He hopes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. His hope leaps over the grave and lands him in a glorious resurrection. And, and Spurgeon concludes his list by saying, "Does not the hope of our calling open grandly? Right. Like just look at this list of hopes, and this is not an exhaustive list. There's so much more than this. Isn't this hope incredible? Don't we have so much?" To to joyfully and confidently expect. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Let Let me get over there real quick. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Right? I've seen this list. You've heard it with your ears. I've imagined some of these things in my heart. And what is this verse telling us? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what he has planned for us. Right? The the hope goes beyond what we can even imagine. It goes beyond what we could possibly try to anticipate. That's the hope we have in Christ. This is good stuff. And there's even more, right? Like, this is a long list. How could this get longer? No, seriously, th- this gets so much better because the way this is phrased here, um, in, in verse 18 again, the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is being said here? It's it's being said that we are the saints, right? And, and what are saints? Not like super holy people, right? Not that definition of saints. Saints are, biblically defined, everyone who believes in Jesus. We are all saints, those of us who believe in Jesus. We are the saints, and we are his inheritance. God's inheritance is us. Does that break anyone else's brain like it breaks mine? What am I? That God, the God of the universe who made all things, would see me as a valuable inheritance. I think God, that's a dreadful inheritance. You could do better, right? But he doesn't think so. He doesn't see it that way at all. We are his inheritance. What are we worth? Well, think of, think of a, a, a raw material, right? A lump, a, a, a lump of wood, a, a block of wood. Uh, I don't know, a, a lump of metal or something like this. Uh, I've, I've been really into watching these YouTube videos of, uh, of blacksmiths making these incredible, like, knives and machetes and stuff, right? Like, they just start with an ingot of metal, and they, they heat it up, and they pound it, and they shape it, and they twist it, and they work in other metals, and it's just really cool, right? I can get lost in this stuff for hours, it's super, super nerdy, I, I know. Um, but but the, the end result is this, like, priceless work of art, right? It just started as a lump of metal, but what is finished is this, this master craftsman uh, art piece, it's like, what would you even pay for that? That's incredible. And in some cases, these are, these are like commissioned or, or made for a particular person or a particular you know, event or something like that. And that person would never let go of this at any cost, right? This is what's happening. We are like the worthless raw material. We are like the, the lump of metal or the block of wood. But then God, as, as this, this master craftsman, shapes and molds us, he redeems us and makes us into this priceless work of art. And he says, that's my inheritance. Once God has has done his work in us, we are not worthless. We have immeasurable worth. God chooses us as his inheritance. Isn't this incredible? This is so good. This is so good. What are we worth? Well, you know, something is worth what someone is willing to pay, right? What is your house worth? Well, uh, a a, a realtor may come, an appraiser may come and give you some values. What is the house really worth? It's worth what someone is willing to pay. If you put your house up because you think it's worth, you know, X amount, and no one's willing to pay that, your house is not worth that, right? You may need to come down in price, you find the price where it's worth it. Or you may put a price up, this has been more recent, uh, you put up a price that's way too low, and people bid and, and auction this thing up, right? And they, they, someone pays you know thousands of dollars above asking because they feel like this is worth more than that. It's worth what they're willing to pay. Well, what has God paid for us? Infinite cost. Jesus dies on the cross to obtain us as an inheritance. That is infinite infinite cost that's what God is willing to pay do you ever feel worthless in your life don't don't you dare look into the truths and the promises of God will you see your worth will you see what he was willing to pay for you he was willing to pay everything that's what you're worth that's what I'm worth and he chooses us as his inheritance. Isn't this incredible? This hope we have is so incredible. And, and this was pointed out. I, I thought this was so good. Um, all of creation God makes with a word, right? Let there be light. Boom, light, right? Let there be stars uh, for all. Caleb was mentioning this telescope. Now we can see more stars and more of the universe than ever. How did that all get into place? God spoke it into existence. Now, how does God make a saint? The Father must beget, the Son must redeem, and the Spirit must regenerate. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in the creation of a saint, you and I. More effort, more work, more time goes into the creation of you and I as regenerated saints, followers of Jesus, than all the rest of the universe combined. Isn't that incredible? Oh, he loves us. So we know what hope is. We know what we hope in. Misunderstanding number three uh, is, is how to obtain this hope. We misunderstand how we are to obtain this hope. I mean, for, first of all, we, we often, uh, as, as humans, as people, we, we think of the work we must do. I must make myself presentable to God I must clean myself up. I must try to uh, make myself presentable to God. No, 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 no. That's not in the Bible, okay? That's not in the Bible. That's stuff we make up. It's totally fictional. Not in there at all. We obtain this hope, first and foremost, this is fully a work of the Spirit of God. This This is God working in us and through us producing in us the the faith we need to have in him. We obtain this hope because of what God does in us, right? So that's, that's number one. This is a work of the Spirit. Number two, we can grow in this hope. We can realize this hope. Being in relationship with Jesus. It's nearness to him who is the author of hope that will help us to realize more fully the hope that we have. Right, to, to have a confident expectation, to have this joyful, confident expectation in what is to come, we need to be near to the one who tells us what is to come. How else are we to know what we are to expect other than to be near to him, to spend time with him? Now, I, I want to be careful as, as we go into this uh, because I, I have kind of some practical things that we want to do and we can, we can fall into this temptation that says... If I read my Bible, if I suffer well, if I pray, God will find me uh, lovable, God will accept me, God will find me worthy of this hope. And I want to make sure we, we don't come anywhere near that. I, I, hopefully, I've made that abundantly clear, right? Uh, that that the, the hope, the promise, is obtained simply with faith faith in Jesus. You place your faith in Jesus, done. Every promise made to every Christian is now yours. But you may not know what those are. You may not feel that. You may not be confident yet in what you are to expect. And so that's where these practices come in. That's where these these, uh, acts of participation come in. This is how we grow in our knowledge, our understanding. This is how the eyes uh, of, of our hearts are opened, as Paul's talking about. I I gave it away already. Read your Bible, suffer well, and pray, right? Uh, Let let, let me get into that a a little bit here. Like, reading your Bible, this is, I mean, um, like like the uh, the story I, I told from the Facing the Giants movie, right? Like, this is how we prepare our fields. We have this joyful expectation that God is going to do something, and so instead of waiting to see what's happening, We want to actively engage, and so we can open up our Bibles and read what God has given to us to know about Him, to read about the promises that we have, to read about how we can grow in our relationship with Him. This all comes from having an intimate knowledge of God's Word, but to have that knowledge, we've got to pick it up. We've got to read it. I'm like, I don't know what else to say there, like... We have to spend time in God's word. Uh, and again, this is not how we get saved or anything like that. Like, but God has saved us. We should want to know more about him. And, and the primary means by which God talks to us is through his revealed word. That's why it's put together. That's why these are on the pages. Um, I, I spent what I thought was time as a Christian. I, I would now look back and say, I, I didn't really believe uh, but I spent, you know, many years going to a church, never once picked up my Bible. I was, I was telling uh, Pastor Matt the story this week as we were talking about this, this passage a little bit. I, I started coming to Outward. I literally didn't know where my Bible was. Uh, and, like, these people actually read their Bible. And they expect that I'm going to read the Bible, too. And so I better go find that Bible. And I couldn't find it. I had to go to the store and buy a new Bible. Right? Like, this is, uh, and this guy's preaching? Oh, my gosh. That was a little while ago. Give me a break, right? Uh, no, I, I, I went down to the store, I bought the, a Bible, and I started opening it up. I started reading it and reading it and reading it. It is so rich. It's so dense. There's so much good stuff in this. If we want to know what to confidently expect, we've got to read the Bible. We gotta be, we've got to be in it. Um, if your entire understanding of what you're expecting, right, if, if your joyful, confident expectation is coming from these sermons, Right, coming from the Sunday morning sermons, I got to tell you, this is I think our third week in verse eighteen. <laughs> okay, it's gonna take you a while, right? There's so many more promises in there. We move so slowly, like we can only cover so much territory. But you can go home, you can open this up, and you can just like douse yourself in God's word. Um, my, uh, 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 we, we took our kids to Disneyland last year. Um, Somebody pointed out to me once, a lot of your illustrations come from vacations. Uh, I don't actually go on vacation that often. I just like the three vacations we've had since we've been married produce a lot of good stories, okay? Uh, so anyway, we took our kids to Disneyland. Uh, and, and, you know, we, for, so for Christmas, we revealed to them, we're going to take you to Disneyland. And, like, okay, what is that? Like they have no idea even what it is or anything. And so to build their, their joyful, confident expectation of what to expect... Uh, We started showing them YouTube videos of of what Disneyland is like, right? And so my kids just started devouring these things, right? They were so excited at what was to come. They were so excited about what they were expecting to experience. They watched walkthroughs and ride-alongs on the rides. And, like, I think before we even got there, they knew the layout of the map of Disneyland because they had looked at the app, the Disneyland app so many times, and like plotted out how and where they're gonna go, right, and all of this. Like this is, this is what we do. When we're excited about something, we research it, right? We investigate it. We wanna know everything there is to know about what is coming. Does that take away from their experience at Disneyland? No, not one bit, it added to it, right? The more they they knew what to expect, the more excited they became, and the more excited they were when they were there. And similarly, as we go to God's Word, we can build uh, our our anticipation and our and our hope. I want to jump real quick to Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter five, Hebrews chapter five, verse uh, verse twelve through fourteen. Um, for for uh, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What is the author of Hebrews here saying? He's saying you need to get off milk and you need to get onto solid food. And I've, I've heard this Critique, even in our church before, uh, and, and I'm not calling anybody out or anything, but I, I just want to address the, this misunderstanding, right? Like I've, I've heard the, the complaint, like we need we need more uh, more substance, more solid food in in the sermons on Sunday. I, I, I want to be eating steak, not not drinking milk. But did you see what the author of of Hebrews is saying there? Um, like for for we can I can throw some complicated you know, theological terms out there, but that's like cutting up the steak and feeding it to you on a fork. Is that, is that maturity? That's not maturity, and, and we do some of that in the sermons, and sometimes that is appropriate, and we love to dig into uh, geeky theological terms. I, I love nothing more, to be honest, but that that's not actually growing us as a church in maturity, and, and the same for me. I, I can't just… Uh, you know, receive sermons and expect, that's, that's still drinking milk, that's somebody spoon-feeding me food. What is maturity? Well, if you're going to solid food, what do you do? You, you pick up a fork and a knife, and you start consuming your food. What is the author of Hebrews saying? To advance past milk, you need to pick up your fork. You got to dig in. We should be in the Word of God. We should be devouring this stuff ourselves. We should, you know, and it, it takes a little bit of time to work into that, right? Maybe you start with a banana, and then you, you work your way up to steak or something. I don't know what the theological equivalent of a banana is, but uh, it's in there, okay? But, like, th- this is how we do And then what's the next step? So we, we go milk, and then we go meat, right? We go solid food. This is picking up our fork and doing it ourselves. And then the, the next step in maturity is teaching. He said, you should be teachers of this already. That's, that's where we move. We move from, uh, from having, you know, our, our Bible intake spoon fed to us to consuming it ourselves. To then teaching. Right. This is maybe with your kids or or your spouse. This is uh, you know m- maybe with a coworker or an, or a neighbor. Uh, I just had a conversation with a coworker the, the other day, and and it, it got into uh, you know he's he's been struggling with some stuff, and and we got into kind of what God's Word has to say about this. I'm I'm teaching him in, not in like, you know, standing up and preaching, but just kind of walking him through what God's Word would say about this, uh, you know, particular issue. This is, this is how we progress in maturity uh, in, in our Christianity. Uh, Okay, let's, let's keep moving here. Um, Some, some practical tips. Practical tips, if, if you've not read the Bible, now for some of you, this is, this is going to be dumb, but uh, I expect that some of you in this room maybe have never read your Bible, uh, and, and that's Okay today's a great day to start. And if you don't have a Bible, would you please come let me know? I would, I would really love to give you a Bible, okay? Like, seriously, I, I, I take joy in few things more than giving away Bibles. I love it. I love it. I think we probably have some around the church to give away. I don't, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, we got some somewhere. We'll get you a Bible. Don't, don't worry. If you need a Bible, you come see me. We'll get you a Bible. Okay, if you've never read, uh, I would recommend starting in the book of John, right? It's kind of toward the back third. Uh, you don't need to read from cover to cover, Start in the book of John. That's the story of Jesus' life. That's a, a really great place to start. Uh, you, you finish reading John, read Ephesians, the book we're studying right now. It'd be great to have some context as we go through on Sundays. You'll have a little better idea of what we're, t- we're talking about. The book of James is a great next step Then I, I recommend, right? John, Ephesians, James, that's where I'd recommend you start. If you've read a little bit and you're looking for daily, here's something I love to do. Proverb of the day. There's 31 Proverbs, right? 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. They're just quick little snippets of wisdom. 31 chapters, one a day, right? So today's the uh, 17th, right? Yeah, 17th. Go read Proverbs chapter 17. You can jump in on that any day. Each chapter of Proverbs kind of stands on its own. That's a really great way to get kind of a a daily dose of God's word. And you can read Proverbs over and over and over. I can't tell you how many times I've read through Proverbs and and I'm just barely warming up, right? There is so much wisdom in that. Uh, That's a great way to grow in your relationship. Uh, if you're looking for, for kind of a step beyond that, if you read roughly three chapters a day in your Bible, any three chapters, you read three chapters a day, you'll read the entire Bible in a year. That's not so over, overwhelming, right? Three chapters a day, uh, you'll you get through the whole thing in a year. And I encourage you to, to do that if you've not done that before. Um, it's good to know the whole of Scripture. Some of those chapters get a little dry, I'll just warn you, okay? Uh, you, you, you start in Genesis, you make it to chapter 5, the first genealogy, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, push through. It's good believe me, okay? All right. Uh, grab a study Bible. You can, go to the, you can go to a Bible bookstore. You can go to Amazon. You can get a study Bible. It has notes and maps and, like, historical facts. That can help as you kind of dig in and study a little bit more. Uh, I realize for some of you, you're like, this is so basic. Why is he wasting time on this? Well, some of us have, have not done this before. This is new. This is a great place to start. And, and we should, those of you who are more mature, right, who are on meat, who are on steak and potatoes, what's the next step? Help teach, right? Find, find each other in the church and help walk a person through. That's, that's another great thing to do is, uh, you know, get together and read with another person. And maybe that just means, hey, once a week or, or, you know, a couple times a month we'll get together over coffee and talk about, you know, talk about what we've been reading. That's a great way to encourage one another. I know I've been encouraged by those uh, settings and situations. Um, there, there's a great... Um, podcast called The Bible Recap. I do this every single morning. Bible Recap, it goes through roughly three chapters a day. It's the, the whole Bible in a year, set up chronologically. That's another great thing to do. Look it up, The, the Bible Recap. Uh, so, okay, the super practical steps. These are just ways that we can grow in our hope, uh, grow in our, in our hope uh, of what is to come uh, and, and understand that. And, and I just want to point out, like, this is not a sermon on how I'm awesome and... Uh, or anything like that. Like, I struggle with all of these things, but I just want to give you some practical tools, things that have worked for me. All right, the the last two things, and and these are really quick. We we go to the Bible, we read God's Word, we suffer, and we pray, right? Suffering is a part of the Christian experience, and and in that list of hopes uh, from Charles Spurgeon, a, a number of those had an element of suffering, but we know what is to come, The the, the hope, the Christian hope is not necessarily a great life today, but it is a great eternity. And the way that we suffer uh, will tell us a lot about where our hope lies, right? And in fact, Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 3 talks about how suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I thought this was really interesting because we sometimes think that suffering is, is in contrast to hope, right? Like I'm suffering and I, and I say I'm losing hope. Well, that, that's only if hope is an uncertain thing. But if hope is a certain thing, suffering actually, the Bible tells us, it, it's a prerequisite to hope. It's producing hope as it goes through right? And so we want to be suffering well and and then pray. This is the link between what we read about, the promises and hope that we read about in the scripture, and what we experience through suffering. The link between the two then is prayer, right? Uh, Be anxious about nothing, Philippians 4.4, be anxious about nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God with thanksgiving, right? I just butchered it, I think. But you get the idea. Uh, Like, don't be anxious about anything. What, what, is, what is causing you anxiety? What is causing you fear? That may come from the suffering column. Well, we know the promises of God, we bring these together with prayer. God, I'm struggling here. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. We take that stuff to the Lord and let him remind us of the promises we have.